Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Welcome into this week's edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Ryan Labner, soon to be joined by my colleague Rex Hoggard. In this week's episode, Rex will dish on all the happenings in New Orleans. We'll analyze in forensic detail the first photo in two months of Tiger Woods, and we'll break down all of the ramifications of the new player impact program on the PGA Tour. But first, we need to tell you about how Mark Leishman won the Zurich Classic with an epic speed driver, a Chrome Soft X LS golf ball, and a white hot OG number one WS putter. Do you wonder why Mark plays the Chrome Soft X LS? He was one of the first players on tour to use Callaway's new Chrome Soft X LS golf ball. He said he wanted to gain some additional yards off the tee while still getting the zip that he needs around the greens. According to Leash, this ball ticked all the boxes so it was a very easy switch for him to make. All right, Rex, you were out at TPC Louisiana for us all week at the Zurich Classic. I believe it is the first time that you have covered the Zurich since this tournament switched to a team format. This is normally my tournament, uh, but for some reason you went on the TV side this week and I had to uh, forfeit all of my dinner reservations to you. What were your impressions of the two-man team competition? Do you like it? Do you not like it? What were your thoughts? You make it sound like I strong-armed this from you. Like, let's be clear about this. I, I didn't step in and just big-time you and say, nope, New Orleans is mine this year. Like that, That's not what happened, just to be clear. You didn't, you didn't want to go to New Orleans in, in late May, or excuse me, late, late April when it's steamy and, and humid and it's at TBC Louisiana, which I know we're going to get into uh, as this podcast wears on. Uh, no, it was lovely. And actually, it wasn't steamy. It, uh, it really wasn't even humid. It was, it was actually beautiful and spring-like, and uh, it was enjoyable. Uh, and as far as the format goes, you're right. I hadn't been out here to cover that since then. I actually loved the format, and I don't think I'd paid enough attention, and that's on me to admit that, uh, over the last few years, simply because it, I love the dichotomy between the four ball and the foursomes. Four ball's fun. Guys are smiling. They're making birdies. They're high-fiving. It's not fun. It's slow, and it's boring. Oh, no, 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 but I'm going to get into that. I think I, you're absolutely right. And here's why I thought it was interesting. And then the foursomes is just, I cannot, for me personally, and you and I have done this before in various tournaments, like foursomes just, it sounds like a miserable way to play golf. I mean, go get dental surgery if that's what you think is fun. I, I just, it's so much pressure and you're constantly apologizing to your partner and you're constantly putting them in a bad position. And I was absolutely blown away 
on Friday after a very, very good round. He also had a hole in one this round. So Graham McDowell was, was riding high. He might have even had a couple of Guinnesses after his round. Would that be Guinness? Guinnesses? Guinness, maybe whatever it was. I think it's, I believe it's Guinnesses. So Guinnesses. Uh, and he was riding high and he actually said with a straight face, I think we should have a 72 hole tournament where foursomes is, is that's it for four rounds. And I, I, I laughed because I thought, oh, he, he's kidding. Like there's going to be a punchline here. Nope, no joke. Purest form of golf, he said. He says that he'd like for them to do it here. I kind of spun that forward, as reporters do, and asked other players, thinking I was going to get funny, dismissive remarks. Nope. I am amazed how many players, and first and foremost, to your point, uh, foursomes is so much faster. And it is refreshing. I, I totally agree. Having been on the broadcast this week and working on the Golf Central side, like the timing of it is so different than any other week out of the year because you literally have to stay on your toes. But there's also the element that, man, like every shot feels like it's the most important shot of the week. And I don't think you get that at other events. It is the, and I mean the only interesting part of the Zurich Classic is the alternate shot format. It's oh, not wow. the walk-up music. It's not the golf course. It sure isn't best ball, which I think is, is deathly boring uh, and is, is absolutely killing this tournament. And so if you're going to keep it, how it is now, I would add actually a scramble format on Saturday. So I would do four balls, let everyone uh, make their birdies, get out to a hot start. Then I would do Friday of alternate shot, which I think is the most interesting part. Saturday, I would throw in a scramble. Yes, it would take forever, but it would be interesting to see what players could do with that. And then Sunday, it, as we as we saw, I would go back to the alternate shot format. It's, it's quicker. There's more pressure. It's more interesting. Uh, that is how I would like to see uh, this tournament. However, that, that being said, and I'm, I'm not sure the PGA tour is going to go this way. So this is just me spitballing. I still feel like this tournament is a missed opportunity. This is a golden opportunity to have a different solution here. And that is to join forces with the LPGA. This is a perfect opportunity for them to create the mixed team event that everyone has been clamoring for over these past couple of years. And you can't have it during the silly season. You can't just make the shark shootout uh, a men's and women's event because it doesn't matter. It has to matter. It has to matter in the race for the FedEx Cup. It has to matter in the race to the CME Globe, which is the equivalent on the women's side. This is an ideal opportunity where you're after the Masters, you're before the PGA Championship, you're after the ANA, you're after all of the uh, women's majors that are going to be coming up fast and furious here over the next couple months. This is the perfect opportunity to add women into the fold and make it so you can have teams like Jordan Spieth and Lydia Ko. Make it so you can have teams like Justin Thomas and Nelly Corda. Make it so you can have teams like Dustin Johnson and Inby Park. That is what would make the Zurich Classic interesting, not a 72-hole alternate shot, although I would argue and I would agree with GMAC that that would be much more interesting than this current iteration. At Willie Go Go Gadget is going to have a field day with you. Willie, he's in the flower room again this week. We're doing this again on a, on a Sunday night edition, by the way, of the Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf uh, I, I could, because of some travel concerns for me. And lab travel is in, concerns. Is that, is that how, is that how are you going to describe your little boondoggling California? Travel concerns. Quote, what U.S. We, Open you, and U.S. Women's tell? Open Media Day. Just to be clear, yes, why you, yes. Why don't you tell the fine folks what you have on the docket here these next couple of days? Uh, there'll be 18 holes at the Olympic Club on Monday as part of U.S. Women's Open Media Day, which I'm looking forward to because I've never played the Olympic Club. So that's been on my bucket list for a long time. And then Tuesday, 18 holes at Toy Pines, South Course. 
which and I've ran this, I've ran this by a couple of people. Yeah. To your point. And, That's and 10 like, hours of absolute torture. The, the USGA is a, they're, they're being very kind and, and they're helping us out with this trip. And I am looking forward to it, you know, to have an opportunity to get a peek at it. And I'm just curious, like, I'm just throwing this out there. What if, you know, if, if I go to Tory and I just say, no, thank you. Can I play 18 on the North course? Is, is that rude? Is it, it's too much, right? It, it, I've stepped too far. Is that right? I mean, I, th- I think you should walk off after four. You just go, just go hang gliding. You're already, you're already right there on the cliff. Just say, you know what? The golf course only gets worse from this point. Only gets, gets worse from this point forward. Just, just give me a hang glider and let me just leap off the cliff here. Just march straight to Del Mar. Just, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Get some fish tacos. Yeah, that, that sounds like a, a better plan. And nothing against the South course. I mean, it's, it's obviously a championship course. We it's see it every year. It's just not fun. It's just not fun. I would, and, have and look, zero. I would have zero desire to play that. That one was tough. That, that one was tough. And, and I think when it was kind of pitched to me by our boss, uh, he kind of made it sound like, well, you're going to get some access and, and you're going to get an early look at it and we can use it for some, some of the preview stories. So he made it work in my mind. But as we get closer, um, I might come down with a late WD for the South course and just sort of chill. Go to the Brigantine and Solana Beach and just maybe spend a couple hours till my red-eye flight home Tuesday night. So you're just going to blow through our travel budget just so you can go to the Brig. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Yeah, that's what that's that's what I'm doing. Blowing through our travel budget. How did how did you uh, how did you enjoy New Orleans? I only only received a couple Snapchats from you. Uh, I saw you hit up what? Uh, uh, where obviously you did Pas- a hotel bar, Pascal Manali's. Uh, that's where the shrimp yep. was from. It was barbecue shrimp. You did which the was, carousel bar. Yep. I did the carousel bar. That's uh, my wife and I were. Uh, that's where our reception was when we got married. So I had to go and have a sazerac there, and it turned into two sazeracs. Which was it crowded? Was it was it was it crowded there? Uh, it was crowded. I got in. It wasn't too much of a wait. You're right. It has become a bit of a tourist spot. But this has always kind of dawned on me. And my wife and her family has always told me this: that one Sazerac isn't enough, and two is too many. And I can attest that that's really true. Uh, well, your taste buds uh, all of a sudden just get hammered into oblivion. Uh, you you yourself are not hammered into oblivion. Your taste buds, and so they're totally diluted. So the first one, you're like, oh man, this is delicious. I'd like another one. But by the time you finish the second one, I'm not sure if it's the ab- absence spray or the actual whiskey. But it's, I mean, your your tongue your tongue can taste nothing else. No, it's tough. And I went to Galatoire's, which is one of my favorites. I did that Tuesday night, so that's always a tradition, and I love doing that. And had an opportunity to take some friends of mine on tour just to get an idea. It's more of a New Orleans sort of a local spot. And, you know, it's kind of the traditional dis- dishes, trout, ponce train, you know, all the things you love about New Orleans. But, no, I, I made the rounds. It was pretty good. I will say this. Uh, Tuesday night through Thursday night, staying in the French Quarter, it was, it was weirdly quiet, having been there quite a few times, knowing what it can get like. Friday and Saturday night, man, apparently there's no pandemic in New Orleans because it was a madhouse. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not too surprised. I mean, what's the – Country 26% fully vaccinated. In terms of New Orleans, you can factor that down to about uh, 2% of the people vaccinated. Louisiana is one of the uh, laggingest behind in terms of their vaccination rates. I'm not, I'm not that surprised that you're going to tell me that, that Bourbon Street was, was popping off over the weekend. No, not surprised. I will say that it's, it was jarring to see a couple thousand people in the streets partying. I mean, we just haven't seen that. Like Once you see it firsthand after going pretty much a year, of, you know, the mask compliance to walk in Louisiana was horrible. Horrible. Oh, no one's wearing a mask. And, and I mean, Sunday was probably the worst day where, and, and I say worst best, because it felt like we were finally at full capacity. And you know this better than I do. This tournament, I think they capped 
attendance at 10,000 a day. Well, 10,000 a day is usually really good for this tournament, but they were probably close yes. to that on Sunday. And yeah, none of them were wearing masks. And that's Louisiana. I don't know if that's the South. I don't know what that might be. But it was nice to get back along those lines. And, and I just do want to go on a bit of a diatribe. And you've done this before. So I'm going to many times. Many you, I'm times. going to bore you to tears and I need to footnote this saying that this is no insider nonsense. Like I have no knowledge of this one way or the other. I'm not trying to pretend to be an expert when it comes to this. I know a little bit about the city. Like I said, having been married here, my wife's family, big New Orleans family, last name Delahousie. They know this city. They know what the politics. I'm well aware of how complicated these things can be. There is no way someone can sit on this podcast or, or on Twitter or anywhere else and make an argument that this tournament should be played at TPC Louisiana. It's a fine golf course. That's it. I'm stopping at fine golf course. And when guys, when you make a list of things you want, as far as a golf course for a tour event, one in one a is quality of golf course and TPC Louisiana is fine. That's where I'm stopping this list as compared to most TPC golf courses are fine. They're not great no they're not and this is by comparison to the city park golf course which was was rebuilt redesigned after katrina it was redesigned with the whole east lake model in mind i remember a few years ago i actually looked up the story i wrote tom cousins who created east lake and did all of those special things in atlanta for the tour championship for the community for the purpose-built schools i asked him once if if we can't do this if you can't replicate what you've done at east lake in new orleans can you replicate it anywhere and he said absolutely not after Katrina, as terrible as that was, this city was right for that kind of vision, visionary thinking for that type of project that you take a neighborhood that's clearly been devastated by time and economic inequalities and a hurricane and everything else. And you have the ability to use this piece of land to build a golf course, and then you can take the surrounding community and make it, make it mixed income. And then you have a tour event and the money from that tour event supports the school just like it does at Eastlake. It's a fantastic story. We tell it every year when we go back to Atlanta. And yet somehow the ship has completely sailed on it. Not only was, are we still waiting all these years later for it to happen, being here this week talking to people who know this much better than I do, not going to happen is what I was told. And that shocks me. Really? Because, I mean, I, so as you mentioned, this has been a, a, a hot topic for me for all the years that I've covered uh, the Zurich. I remember... 2018 uh, I got an opportunity I didn't play the golf course but I kind of scouted it and I said this is just it's, it's tailor-made for an interesting uh, uh, PGA Tour event uh, New Orleans obviously you know for people who haven't been to TPC Louisiana it's about a 25 30 minute drive from the French Quarter I mean it's you're you're, you're not that's you're at, not actually at in New Orleans you're in you're in Avondale you're in Avondale Louisiana so you're I would just you're call it the Louisiana Louisiana Open. you're in another parish yeah Right. Yes. And, okay, okay. and it's across so, two, two crazy bridges that, that always seem to have traffic. Like 30 minutes is at best, by the way. Yeah. Okay. And so this golf course, uh, Bayou Oaks at, um, Bayou Oaks, excuse me, at, at City Park, I, it, it, uh, it reopened, I believe, in 2017 or 2018. And so, look, you've had a three or four year growing period here. It was, it was restored by Reese Jones. And the hope, talking to tournament officials in 2018, which is, uh, the last time uh, I covered it is that they were hoping to eventually lure the event to that golf course. Now, Steve Worthy, the tournament director at the Zurich Classic, he said, We're very happy at TPC Louisiana. You know, this golf course has everything we need. And it's true. Like, there's everything there. You have the infrastructure of a TPC facility. 
everything we need, but I would argue not everything you want. And everything you want should be an interesting layout for what is a unique format on the PGA Tour. I'm with you. I've been with you for years. They need to, they need to not just monitor any other options. They need to make the leap. I mean, Zurich is locked in, I believe, until 2026. They have to make the leap before then, because otherwise this tournament is is gotten way too sleepy for what it should be. Well, and before Joe Ogilvy retired, he had longtime PGA Policy Board member, and he kind of took this as his personal project. And I remember talking to him specifically about this. We were at dinner one night, and he was more passionate than you and I are. It's, it's going to happen. They're going to move that tournament. We're going to build this golf course. It's going to be, Bill, be East Lake South because of – all the reasons that make the PGA tour special compared to other sports. And the idea that somehow Louisiana politics has deep six, this, that somehow this very, very special thing has been washed over and given up on just because we can't get the right politicians to agree on something is baffling to me. And to your point, I agree with you. I have played the new course at Bayou Oaks and it is much more. There's a lot more character to it. There's a lot more room. Are you, to are it. you, sure, are you sure it's not Bayou? Now I'm positive it's not Bayou. Yeah, you saw the, the it's, it's eye roll. It's definitely even, not. Yeah. Definitely not. Well, yeah. and it, then you factor in location, location, location. I mean, I would even argue you'll probably get a it's better 10 field. minutes. It's 10 minutes you can from the tell, French Quarter. You can tell the players if you want to, you can take a streetcar. Like, that's how close you are. Then the streetcars run right over there. So it would be very, very easy for you. The people of Louisiana, of New Orleans, are going to be much more inclined to go to it, which in turn was going to create more funds for the Four Kids, Four Kids Foundation. It's... I, there, there aren't any arguments other than whatever politician has decided that he wants to keep this out in West Wego, because that's the only person I think in the world that really wants this. Yeah, it is a absolutely sleepy. Um, hopefully they'll listen to this podcast. Hopefully they'll listen to that, that passionate rant that you just went on uh, and eventually move it to city park. There were two other uh, bits of news this week that we need to get to the first. I know you're d- busy doing lives of tapes with uh, Louis Oosthuizen and Cameron champ and Mark Leishman and, and the rest. However, what we had this week was a Tiger Woods sighting. A Tiger Woods sighting for the first time in two months. He appeared on social media, on Instagram, uh, posting a picture alongside his very cute dog. He was on crutches. He had his hat backwards. And he had a very large air cast on his right leg. What were your uh, impressions of seeing Tiger for the first time since that horrific car crash two months ago? There are actually two pictures. There was a picture of him at uh, Charlie's tournament, I guess, at PGA National, the, either day after or maybe two days after he got, and I called it the proof of life, but that's probably not the right way to say it because, look, we've all sat and waited. It seemed a little insensitive. It is a little insensitive. That's not how I meant it, of course. However, it, it was nice to see him, and he, he looked a lot better than I thought he would. We've all seen the crash. We all have envisioned in our mind, man, like, thank goodness he walked away from that because that was horrific. And just to see him upright, to see him smiling, to see him again in the and someone snapped a picture of him at PGA National as he was being driven around in a golf cart watching Charlie. That is such a positive step forward. And I mean, it, it was kind of refreshing to me to, to actually see it. And I don't know that I've ever been in that situation before where you've waited so long and I, my mind was going to such dark places. Again, having seen the car and, and having an idea of what was happening during the car crash that when you actually saw him upright and you're right with a very, very large cast on his right leg and on crutches, it was still a, a moment of, of exhale almost is how I looked at it. That all being said, that poor dog looks like he's being held against his will. 
Can I just have my treat now? Come on, I've been sitting. <laughs> how many how many times have I take this picture? So I I've studied I've studied this picture in in forensic detail uh, because I don't I don't have a life, and so just kind of scanning over, I had a couple observations. One, yes, he was smiling. That was that was really good news. His face didn't appear to have like any deformities to it or you know, any major surgery required, which was kind of what I was thinking because. The fact that he didn't make an appearance at the Champions Center to me was a little surprising. I thought like they would have found a way to FaceTime him in there. I would have thought he would have had some kind of video message. And instead, I think what Fred Keppel, Fred Couples just read a read a letter from him just to talk about how special um, 2019, 2020 when he was uh, um, hosting the Champions Center once again. So that, that was to me good to see. He clearly hasn't missed any days in the gym. Uh, he's, he's been doing a lot of arm curls. Um, his shoulders look absolutely massive. His forearms look massive as well. Yes. You saw the, the right, the, the cast on the right leg. So we don't know exactly what looks underneath there. Ankle joint is obviously the biggest concern for him moving forward. Left leg looks totally fine. His left leg looks totally fine. Left, so I think that's, that's really good news. Cause that's the leg that's caused him, uh, trouble in the past as well and we can't really know the state of his back it was shot before the accident i can't imagine that the car crash actually helped realign things but all in all uh good to see t-dub back on his feet as he continues uh the rehab process the second biggest to news uh of the week was this player impact program now i know it's a little bit outdated since we're now taping this podcast uh, at the end of the at the end of tournament week, for those who have been living under a rock, uh, the top ten needle movers essentially on the PJ Tour are going to earn an extra forty million dollars in bonus money. Top player grabbing an extra eight mil for a guy who probably does not need it, and so that means guys like Tiger, Phil, Bryson, Ricky, Jordan, JT, DJ, Brooks, whoever else I'm probably missing, going to be patting their wallets. Uh, a little bit more essentially this is the way i'm thinking it they're essentially being sponsored by the pga tour they're essentially going to be getting one to eight million dollars in their bank account with the pga tour as payable from like that's who it's coming from that's the best way to think of it do you think this is a big deal or not a big deal rex i don't think it's a big deal and what was interesting is i had a boss call me tuesday night to ask me kind of play a reaction like what are you hearing is there any pushback on this impact program and i said actually I've heard more pushback from the tours change to the, to the COVID-19 protocols, being vaccinated, not having to be tested. Like I'm, I'm hearing more complaints, groaning, because whatever you want Because the tour is what, 99% Republican? Uh, well, yeah, there's some anti-vaxxers out there. Like that, that goes without saying. There's more than I thought. I'll leave it at that. Like I don't want to dive into this because it, it seemed like it, was such, it kind of came out of, out of nowhere because it seems so easy if, for a PGA Tour player or a caddy just to do this and for us all to move on the nfl has just get the shot this. man just get the shot and just you're not done. getting microchipped you're not going to turn into an alien yes yes you're and not so going to die in so fact it's no, probably preventing you from not dying let's all hope and but however i will say no i'm not hearing much pushback i did speak with with some managers who had some insight on it and i will say that however this algorithm is going to spit out that top 10 it is going to be a little concerning because we don't know how much, I don't know, your Q rating versus your FedEx Cup point standing versus your MVP index versus whatever meltwater, meltwater mentions, whatever that means. Like, I don't know how these things are, are going to be weighted. And when one manager brought up very, very wisely to me that why aren't tournament directors added into this? They can tell you 
who moves the needle. The tournament director here at the Zurich Classic can tell you exactly what players sell tickets. So they probably should have had a say in it. The TV partners, and this is a little self-serving, I understand that, but they should probably have a say in, yeah, these are the people, these are the players that people want to see on TV. So I think it's probably going to be adjusted a little bit, but I don't see that as a long-term problem. The, my biggest takeaway was this was an obvious reaction to the Premier Golf League proposal. And I found it fascinating that it, the news landed, and this has been going on since January 1st, that Golf Week just found out and reported it this week on Tuesday. But in the middle of that news cycle, you had whatever that's called, whatever a Super League means in Europe, you had that thing come to life, which in a lot of ways is the PG, their version of the PGL, and within 48 hours, die a horrible death. And I just kept thinking to myself, they've put $40 million aside as an annuity for, let's say, Tiger Woods, because he's always going to be in the top 10 for the foreseeable future. And let's say he even wins it every year. Let's say he's getting $8 million every year. Because he should get the $40 million. He should get the $40 million every year. $8 million isn't going to change his mind is the point. I mean, I don't know a lot about the PGL. I don't think many people have very many hard facts on it, but the money – that they've rec- that they've said that they're go- that they could possibly be working with here, I mean, it's this is generational wealth. Eight million dollars is not generational wealth, not to Tiger Woods. And then you work your way down to three million dollars for the guy who finished seventh through tenth on it. That's not going to change Ricky Fowler's mind to not play the PGL. It's it's a nice check. I'm sure he'll appreciate it. But if he gets an offer from the PGL, it's going to be vastly more than that. Yeah, I'm. I st- I. I still just think this is much ado about nothing. I really do. I think it's, it's basically just a thank you from the PGA tour. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for doing what you do on a, on a, on a weekly basis for the PGA tour. And if by any chance when this, you know, at the, at the end of calendar year, when the money's doled out and you can get Dustin Johnson to play in an extra tournament, which is going to be part of the stipulation here. If you can get all of these guys in the top 10 to appear for some, um, marketing material or for for some promo commercials that's a win that's a win for the pj tour because the most important thing to these guys yes is money but these guys have tons of it because all of the guys who are going to be inside of this top 10 have at least 50 million in the bank at least 50 million not just in terms of on course performance but also off course with their sponsorships and their various endorsements and so if you can get time with them to promote the pj tour to me, that's worth $8 million, or that's worth $5 million. Now, some of the other criticisms that I've seen of this program were, you know, shouldn't the PGA Tour be using this $40 million in other ways? Shouldn't they be giving it to the first tee? Shouldn't they be helping underwrite some of these other tours like the Corn Ferry Tour? No, they should not. That is the biggest criticism that I've seen is that you need to help out the Corn Ferry the, the Tour guys because those guys are going poor just trying to chase their dream. That's what they should. It is a developmental circuit. If those guys aren't hungry, if you've got inflated purses and $300,000 winner checks, those guys are going to get fat and happy. You don't want a developmental tour, a, 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 a gateway to the PJ tour to be a landing spot for some of these guys. And so I think that's, that's uh, totally the wrong way to look at it. Look, I, I do think this program, big picture, is going to be unfair for guys like Xander Shoffley and Colin Morikawa and Patrick Cantlay, some of those soft-spoken guys who would, you know, would, would rather let their clubs do the talking. I get it. 
they're never going to finish inside the top 10 unless they absolutely have just a blockbuster year and win six times in a couple majors. That's the only way that they're going to pop up in Google searches or whatever Meltwater mentions are or their, their Q rating. Like they've got to do something really, really special to crack that top 10. And that's unfortunate. I also don't think those are guys who are necessarily going to be defined by how much money they have on their wallet. And so I don't think they care about the player impact program and the PJ tour can and reward them in other ways as well. No, I would totally agree. And Patrick Cantlay is the example I used earlier in the week. And it will get awkward. There will come a time at the end of this year or next year, whenever it happens, when someone has to look Patrick Cantlay in the face and go, hey, I know that you beat Ricky Fowler. And I, we all love Ricky Fowler. Like, he's a fan favorite. He's a media favorite. He's one of the genuinely nicest guys on tour. But someone's going to have to look Patrick in the face and say, I know you beat Ricky every week this year. But he edged you out in meltwater mentions, so he's going to get the $3.5 million, and you're not getting anything. That's an awkward conversation to have. But Patrick Cantley is going to look at the tour official and say, that's okay. I earned $3.5 million more than he did on the golf course this year. No, and, and he's pretty good about it. He and Xander both, as teammates last week, were asked about it, and they both read off the same script. And I do believe that they believe that. They're like, look, I just, I'm going to go out and let my playing – take care of the rest uh i do want to ask you and because you've written this story and and it kind of resurfaced in new orleans morikawa was paired with matthew wolf and i don't oh, know dear. if those two are ever going to talk again yeah i mean it was ugly they almost finished last uh thank 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 goodness for uh guys like barn rat and arjun atwal and bo hogue and wes roach i mean it was it was ugly. They teamed up to shoot 77, an alternate shot. But who couldn't have seen this coming? I mean, you had Colin Morikawa, who's, who's playing some great golf. He just had a chance to win on Hilton Head. Of course he was going to struggle alongside Matthew Wolf, who just he – hasn't, he hasn't been good since the U.S. Open. This is, this is not breaking news. Now, I had at least some glimmer of optimism that, that being alongside a, you know, a kid he's played, a, he's played junior in college golf alongside for the last, you know, half dozen dozen years I, I was I was hoping it would at least spark something in him uh, but instead Matthew Wolf just continued to look miserable uh, he, he really just needs some some time away I know that there's really no good time in the PJ Tour schedule to to step aside and just take a mental refresh um, but that's desperately what Matthew Wolf needs not two or three weeks for reset we're talking three to six months of just clear your head get into a better headspace want to be on the golf course competing again. It's a really hard thing for a 21, now 22-year-old uh, to do, but that's that's desperately what he needs right now. And I think there's something to be said here, and I think in sports in general, we had to have a tendency to ignore mental health when it comes to our athletes because we expect them to be bigger, stronger, faster, invincible when it comes to all things, whether if it's being tackled or making a bogey or sitting in a hotel room over the course of a pandemic as a 20-something-year-old when you'd much rather be hanging out with your high school friends or back at your college campus. And I think this is, he is such a glaring example of someone. And I'm not saying that he has mental health issues, but certainly he's not happy doing what he's doing right now. And bad golf factors into that. But I also think there's something to be said for if you're just happy in life in general, whatever it is you do for a living is a little bit easier. And right now there's nothing easy that Matthew Wolf is doing. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's telling too, Rex. I mean, Matthew Wolf should be a college senior, and I don't think it's any coincidence that he also just bought a house outside Stillwater, Oklahoma, 
and so that he can still see his girlfriend and still see some of his college buddies. That that to me is a guy who's who's torn and 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 wants to be a part of two different lives, and he's struggling to do both at, for the for the time being. Now, if if he starts playing good golf, I'm sure that his mood's going to his his mood's going to change. Uh, but right now, he's he's kind of in that tweener zone where he's he still wants to be you know, part of his, his crew. This is a really hard time to be a PJ tour player, especially if you're 21 years old playing a, in a pandemic where, you know, things are really lonely, really lonely. You don't have quite that same camaraderie and brotherhood that you typically have in the PJ tour, but uh, ho- hopefully he gets right soon. Cause he's, he's an awesome player to watch uh, to be sure. All right, Rex, you have a flight to catch. Uh, that's going to be it for this edition of the Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. Next week, we will recap the Valspar Championship where guys like Dustin Johnson and Justin Thomas are in the field. And of course, we will hear all about Rex Hoggard's boondoggle in California. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.